So just one other little piece of information before we hop into our message, the fourth in our In the Whisper series. Following service, we've got some coffee and tea ready to go for a couple reasons. First of all, so that you get to know one another, and that's what Church Together service in a few weeks is about as well. We recognize as a church family, it begins with connection and being uh, known and knowing others, and lots of you are newer to the uh, Country House Church family. So those of you who have been here a while, be sure to stay around and meet some people who haven't been here a while. But there's a second reason. Okay, there's a second reason. Uh, Chrissy's going to be heading around with a camera. I think Chrissy and Amos are heading around with a camera. We've got our 40th anniversary as a church in January. And we're putting together a, a video for that. And they're going to be asking you a question about how your life has been changed through Country Hills. So here's your fair notice. Prep a 30-second answer now. Think of it in your head. How has my life been changed by Country Hills Church? Maybe you've been here 25 years. Maybe 25 minutes. Who knows? They're going to just take the opportunity with you and ask you and put you on camera. And they'll edit it and make it look really good. Um, but we would love to have as many people as we... Uh, as possible um, over the next, uh, you know, a little bit after service to participate in that. How many of you uh, online, I can't see your hands, but maybe you can uh, write in the chat, how many of you ever, ever had wasabi? How many have had wasabi? Okay, hand, keep hands up, hands up, hands up. Drop your hands if you don't like wasabi, okay? okay lots of people, okay. So, my first encounter with wasabi was about 20 years ago. A friend of my parents took us to a Japanese restaurant. I'm not a big sushi guy. It's not a meal. It's an appetizer, if you're in the mood. You can correct me, but you're wrong. So, uh, this friend got the appetizer and the sushi. It's one of the places, the tapenyaki place, where they throw things and all that kind of stuff. And he said, all right, I'm going to get you to do this the right way. So, here's, here's some sushi. Here's a bit of ginger. Here's some wasabi. And I said, what's wasabi? I know now it's a Japanese horseradish, a little paste. And he said, oh, you'll want some. It's really good. It flavors it good. He said, uh, I said, is it spicy? I'm not into spice that much. He said, it's a little, little hot. What it's going to do is whoosh. Okay? He said this several times. When you eat it, it will whoosh. And I said, what do you mean by it will whoosh? He said, when you eat it, it will whoosh. So I thought, okay. So I ate it. And I waited, it was a little spicy, and eventually it went whoosh, and my nose ran. And I understood in that moment what whoosh meant. There are certain things in life where despite the best explanation given by the person speaking, you really have to experience it for yourself. If you've ever tried to listen to someone who shares the story of a missions trip or a vacation, and they're, they're really giving this detailed thing. Maybe they've got pictures. You ever done that? You've gone over to someone's house, and they break out the, the laptop connected to the TV, and they show you 450 pictures of the beach, and they're trying to tell you all about this wonderful experience, and you're like, that's great, but you can't really get it. But if there are other people in the room who experienced it with them, then they fully understand it's like when I try and share a story of a video that's really funny or something that's happened to me. I love sharing stories. I love hearing you know, funny things. I like watching fail videos, all that kind of stuff. So I will try and share that with people around me, much to their demise. And I, I explain it with all the gusto I can, and sometimes I'm laughing and snorting and crying, and I can't make it through. And what do the other people say? You know what they say. You had to 
be there. You had to be there, right? You had to experience it. And I'm like, no, it's great. It's really hard sometimes to explain some things. There are things in life that have to be experienced to, to really fully explain it. To really understand some things, you have to go through it. You have to experience it. And hearing God's voice is one of those things. And so this morning we want to explore uh, the question of, like, how do I hear and recognize God's voice? And really in these final two messages of this series, which really builds one on the other. So if you haven't heard the first three, you'll want to go back on whatever podcasting app you have or YouTube and catch up. And these final two go hand in hand and answer, help answer that question. How do you recognize and hear God's voice? Watch this. Can you hear it? Are you listening? God whispers to us and you hear him. Perhaps it is a feeling in our gut, a sudden insight, or a message that comes to us through his word. Or maybe it is the stillness of nature, or the blowing of the wind and the sound of waves crashing on the shore. Whatever form it takes, God is whispering to us now, inviting us to listen and respond. It is in these moments of quiet and stillness that we truly hear God's voice. And when we do, we have a choice to make. We can ignore it, dismiss it as just another thought or feeling, or we can embrace it and allow it to transform us from the inside out. God's whispers has the power to change us, to move us, to heal us. It can give us the strength and courage to face our fears to overcome our doubts, and to take bold steps towards a brighter future. When we follow God's gentle whispers, it has the power to shake the world, to bring about positive change and make a difference in the lives of those around us. So can you hear it? God is whispering to you. Are you listening? God speaks to us uh, through the Holy Spirit. And uh, there's a lot of clarity in the Gospel of John in chapter 14 and 16 over what the Holy Spirit does and his role in our life. Not as an it, but as a third person of the Trinity. Knowing how to recognize God's voice, knowing how to listen and determine if it's God is something you grow in over time. It's much deeper than flipping coins or chants or uh, anything like that. Um, recognizing and discerning God's voice is a, is a journey of spiritual maturity. The more you recognize, listen, determine that it's his voice, the more you'll want to and the more you'll recognize it. It's something you grow in and it becomes simpler over time. Simpler, not easier, but simpler in the sense that you get a sense of what is God and what is not. And the primary, we hear, primary way we hear God's voice is in his word. It's clearly, his written word, it's clear. There's guidelines. We get to know about God. We can see how God moves, shape, his personality, tone, his nature. 
It's the primary way he speaks to us, where he takes, as we looked last week, a logos, a general word, and makes it personal, a rhema word, a personal word to us, how to apply it to this particular thing in our life. But the second most common way that God speaks is through the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, in John 3, uh, we find Jesus talking to a religious leader. Jewish religious leader Nicodemus, we find him elsewhere in, in the, the narrative of the early church. And he is interested in Jesus. He's, he's seeking. He follows the Jewish ways, and he seeks out Jesus at night because he knows the rest of the Jewish leaders would not be happy with him trying to figure this Jesus out. The most popular or commonly known verses in that uh, conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus are in verse 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. And he goes on through verse 17. But in the lead up to that in verse 8, Jesus talks about what happens, how this happens when we go from death, spiritual death to spiritual life. When we go from being spiritually blind to spiritually see, when we're made new, when we come alive in the Spirit, when we are born again. And John 3, 8 says this, The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. In other words, you can feel the effects of the wind. You can't see it. You can only tell there's winds by the effects on someone's life. So too is it when the Spirit makes someone alive. We come to faith. We receive God's grace through our faith and belief, and it happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. Our faith and belief in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we can't see it happen. We don't see the Spirit working, but we see the effects of the Spirit working when someone's life has changed and their desires and their demeanor and the direction of their life takes a different course. So it's hard to explain how to hear God's voice. But we can see the effects of that. And we can sense the effect. When you hear God's voice through his word, through the quiet whisper, which we'll talk about of the Holy Spirit, and other ways, you will notice a difference in your life. And you'll notice that this no longer seems like a religion of following rules in a book to appease a God who's distant, who hopefully someday will look down on you and think you're good enough. Because that's not Christianity. That's a lie. And that's religiosity. God is about relationship. There are other ways that God speaks. So the primary way is through his written word. The second most common way is through the Holy Spirit himself. God speaks through his spirit in our hearts. There are other ways that God speaks. Audible voice. Sometimes people hear his audible voice. Dreams, visions, circumstances, miracles in nature. We see it in scripture. Things like the burning bush, Balaam's donkey. We find things happen in our lives where we think that has to be God. And other people speak to us. So there's other ways that God speaks. But we're not going to get into those today or in this series. I want to focus on this second most common way known as the still, small voice of the Spirit. In 1 Kings 19, we encounter Elijah, one of the most powerful and well-known prophets in all the Old Testament. He's just 
God has just done something wonderful, miraculous, amazing through him. Fire and sacrifice and all sorts of big, loud stuff God is on display to show that he is God and the pagan, idol gods, demon gods of the people around him are not real or powerful. But he's in trouble because the powers that be of that day, the king and the queen, do not want the God of Elijah to be in power. They don't want to submit their lives. They don't want the nation. They can't do things their way. And so he flees. And while he flees, he's afraid. He's depressed. He's lonely. He's questioning things. He's wondering, God, where are you? So he just saw God do this amazing thing. And I think the question he's asking is, God, where are you? What's next? And 1 Kings 19, he's in a cave. He's in a cave and he's waiting. And God has led him there. Here's what we find. Verse 11. God says, Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord told him. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by, and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. It was such a terrible blast that the rocks were torn loose, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a sound of a gentle whisper, some English translations say there was a still, small voice. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave, and a voice said, What are you doing here, Elijah? So this prophet, who had seen God work in amazing, loud ways that we expect in the Old Testament and prophets, and we love to see God do these big ways. We love in our life to see God do these big big things that we can notice that there's no shadow of a doubt that that must be God. But God doesn't primarily move that way. And if we're waiting for him to only speak in those amazing, wondrous ways, we'll have a bumpy relationship with him at best. The prophet Nehemiah says something similar. Nehemiah 7.5 So my God gave me the idea to call together all the nobles and leaders of the city along with the ordinary citizens for registration. I had found the genealogy records of those who had first returned to Judah. This is what was written there. And so God gave him the idea to call people together and begin to rebuild as people were coming back from exile. There's this sense that when we receive thoughts from God, or thoughts in general, after we prayed for an answer, a thought is placed in our, our heart and our minds. There's a sense when God needs to tell us something. There's a, a gentle sense, an inner voice. Something different other than us. God speaks into our hearts and our spirits. It's a sense. It's, um, it's an idea. It's words. It's feelings. Maybe it's a thought, a picture. Maybe something someone else said to us. Something we've seen. Something we've heard. But we know there's something qualitatively different about it, and it addresses that deep thing, that question, that crossroads we're at. The bump in the road of our relationship with God, our relationship with another person. Maybe it's a reminder of something you've forgotten. The Holy Spirit does that. Maybe it's a reminder of a passage of Scripture, or a narrative, or a story, or something God had done for you already, and He's willing to do again. It's this gentle whisper, this sense. Sometimes people refer to it as a conviction or a prompting or an impression. All of these are talking about the same thing. 
Followers of Jesus need to have God speak to them through his spirit for guidance and for discernment and for assurance. And he does that. Next week, we're going to look more at guidance and discernment. God does more noticeable things too, absolutely. So I'm not saying that he doesn't work in these big, loud, noticeable ways. But primarily, he works through his written word already given as we understand and find him in it. Remember, God's word points to God. It is not God. It's not the end of the story. It's meant to direct us back to him, and his spirit is the same. We're to be in relationship with God, and his spirit is united with ours at the moment of belief. God speaks inside us. It is what the prophets and the people in the Old Testament longed for and never experienced. And the Holy Spirit came upon people in the Old Testament at specific times and specific ways for a specific task. And God would visit and speak and guide and lead. And in the New Testament, Jesus walked alongside whoever he was physically able to be around at the time. And then he died, rose again, ascended. And he said, it's better that I go because I'm sending my spirit. This thing that I've always wanted to do as your God, to speak with you. The fulfillment of this has come. My kingdom is here. It's now and not yet. I will return again. That's Advent. So while people waited for the Messiah to come first, he came. And when he ascended into heaven, he sent his spirit so that as we wait for him to return, we have the fulfillment of what everyone longed for, a relationship and a union with our creator. So, how do we recognize his voice? That's, that's the million-dollar question. How on earth do we recognize his voice? Well, you can hear God's voice as a follower of Jesus. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep hear my voice. You can. He's given you that ability. Here's a problem. All right? Tell you a little bit about our little dog. Our little dog, Riley, is 13 years old. She is pretty much blind. But she can see light and darkness. Very clearly, sometimes, you know, it concerns us. She's walking into things, but she does better in the light when I turn the light on. She can still tell light from darkness. Do you know that uh, as human beings, whether our vision is poor or our vision is good, that we can determine light from darkness, and psychologists can't figure that out. They, they can't figure out how a human comes to a place where they recognize light from darkness. It can say that... We do, and, and they can say, you know, here's a developmental stage where we see, you know. But they can't explain how that happens. It just kind of happens. Christians can just recognize God's voice. And over time, you begin to recognize it the more you listen carefully and the more you both, listen, both hear it correctly and it is God and make a mistake and it's not. God loves both of those. He's not waiting for you to get it right, get it perfect. He just wants you to listen. Trust him and act. And guess what? You're going to know after the fact if it was God, if it was you, or if it was someone else. And he works in that. We learn to recognize through experience. In the same way with that light and darkness, um, psychologists and, uh, and philosophy can't tell us how we begin to learn to distinguish colors. It seems to be a learned Thing, or musical notes. It's, it's a learned thing. They can tell us that we do it and the point of, 
you know, if you're a parent, you, you know when your child starts to learn their colors or starts to learn the notes and music and things like that. We know that we do it. We just can't figure out how. It's through experience. I would imagine that if you tell your child that red is yellow and blue is green for long enough, they'll identify those colors under those names, but they still know what it is. It doesn't matter what the name of it is. Over time, they recognize it. Same with God's voice. My experience with um, beginning to understand God's voice came more um, with the impressions or the feelings that I had. And feelings can be misleading. I'm not talking about um, uh, uh, like leaning into our feelings. We should pay attention to our feelings. They tell us something. God has made us emotive beings. But just having a sense and a feeling that it was God, sometimes that's a physical thing for some people. Mostly it's a thought. It's an impression. It's an affirmation. It's confirmation that it is God. The Bible speaks of God's ways being higher than our ways. And so when you have a thought, a picture, a word, a verse come to your heart, something planted there that seems other than you and also reflects the nature of God, that's a good idea that it is God. His ways are higher than mine. If I have a solution to a problem, if I have an answer to a prayer request, if I have understanding of a Bible verse, if I can rightly discern a situation and have wisdom in that beyond my wisdom, beyond what I've experienced before, beyond what I can do in, of, of myself, no matter how gifted I am, that's a good clue that God is working because it's other than me. He gifts us with that. He speaks us. He imparts that. James 3.17 says this, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It's peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It's full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism and is always sincere. Galatians uh, 5 speaks about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. If you sense a word from the Lord, if there's an impression on your heart, a thought, and it sounds like that kind of wisdom, and it seems like the fruit, the outpouring of the Spirit, something that as the branches connected to the vine who is Jesus, that this is something he's bringing out of you, and it matches that, like the James passage or fruit of the Spirit, it's a good clue that that is God, if it seems like his nature. If it sounds like something Jesus spoke or God spoke in his word to someone else, that is a good impression. That's why his word is the primary way, because it's his word, and that's why the voice of the Spirit is the secondary way. So why does God prefer to speak through still, small voice of the Spirit? Why does he prefer this gentle whisper? Well, first of all, it's the clearest and, and most reasonable way to speak to free, intelligent beings. Jesus uh, did not, God did not create us to be robots and that we have to love, that we have to choose God. If we truly have a freedom to choose God, then speaking to us quietly, without force, without being loud, is the clearest way for a father to speak to a child. So why wouldn't God reveal himself written in the clouds? Why doesn't God just say, here I am, this is me, choose me, in some big amazing way? As a lot of people ask that, if God were truly God, and if I were God, that's what I'd do, and everyone would know. So I'm going to just repeat what I agree with 
that apologists, so Christian apologists, Christians who explain and debate their faith, and scholars who know way more than me, how they answer that question, and I'm in full agreement. So if people say, if God were to reveal himself that way, I would believe, and the the correct answer is, no, you wouldn't. Why? Because people would find another reason to explain that away. Because people who don't want to believe, don't want to believe. So, if God only spoke in those loud ways, we'd have to listen. And that's not the nature of God. He's loving. And if it was all fire and brimstone and all sorts of stuff, and God we couldn't doubt that it's him or we'd have to find some other reason. We'd have to listen. That's not God's nature. If God always spoke to us that way, we would fear him instead of love him. Now, don't get me wrong. Whenever someone in the Bible encountered an angel or God in some form, burning bush, angel, messenger, whatever it may be, they were afraid. To be in the presence of an almighty, holy God, we are afraid. But that's not what I'm talking about. If God were forceful and mighty, we would not draw near to listen. We'd be afraid. And in the Old Testament, when it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom, that's part of our relationship. That word fear has to do with a holy respect, not fear. It is, I'm in awe of you, not you're a parent who's harsh and unkind, so I'm going to hide from you. That's not what that fear is. But if God always worked in that way, we'd always be afraid and we'd never want to draw near. Why else? Pride. If God always worked in these big ways, the people who actually heard God and saw him, you know, in in whatever, in the sky or in a piece of toast or whatever it may be, they would come and say, I heard God and God told me this. Be careful using those phrases. I like to say, I, I think God said, I think God is leading. And as we'll see next week, there's some ways we can help discern that together. If God only spoke that way, those who hear him would be puffed up. 1 Corinthians 8 says, knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Everyone, regardless of age, gender, race, status, Every sheep of Jesus Christ, every follower of Jesus can hear his voice equally. We have equal opportunity to hear from him. Now, some who are more spiritually mature and who've tuned their ears, they can listen better because they've taken the time to do that. They have no greater access to the Father. They are no better standing before Jesus, before the Father, than anyone else. We are equal. And if God came in mighty ways and only the prophet... Only the pastor, only the apostle heard from God and stands up and says, God told me this and you can't listen the way I do. It creates pride. And it creates manipulation. And it creates power dynamics. And Jesus did not operate that way. Why does God speak in gentle whispers? Why is this his second most uh, common way to speak? Because when you whisper, you have to lean in. Because when you whisper, you have to lean in. When someone whispers, you don't back away, unless you're afraid they have COVID, right? When they whisper, you lean in. You draw close. 
God hides the things of the kingdom from the proud, from those who think they know it all, from the pharisaical. But he's gentle and humble of heart to those who are childlike, who draw near. James 4, 8 says this, Come close to God, and God will come close to you. He is findable. Jesus says, ask, seek, knock. It'll be given to you. I'll be found. Draw near to me. Those who want to be near to God, it's, it's just a leaning in. He, he's speaking already, but he speaks in these quiet ways so that you draw near. He speaks primarily through his word, so you spend time in his word, getting to know about him so that you know him personally. Careless, self-righteous, proud people don't want to hear God in the first place. And so it's not that God doesn't speak to them. It's just that they can't because they won't. They can't because they won't. But if you just lean in when he's whispering, pay attention to discern, you'll recognize his voice. Learn, uh, lean in. Lean in to listen to God's voice in the wind and in the whispers. Lean in to listen to God's voice in the wind and the whispers. What I mean is the whisper of the Holy Spirit. And in, in the wind, as Jesus said, you, can, you can't see the wind, but you can see the effects. Look at the effects of what God is doing in your life and in the inner voice. Several years ago, um, I think before we even had kids, Stephanie and I remarked uh, kind of just off the cuff that maybe one day we'd go to Africa. And, and there was this sense that if we were ever to go, it was going to be with our family. And time passed, and about 15 years ago, Country Hills partnered with Christian Horizons Global um, for a number of initiatives, and some of you sponsored children, and a team went in 2010. We weren't invited, not even interested, not on our radar. We were doing other things. I was youth pastor and doing just wasn't even there, didn't even think about it. I love Christian Horizons Global, love what they were doing in Ethiopia, fully in support, went to fundraising lunches, all the, all the stuff. But then in about 2012, I had a stirring in my heart. And I remember where I was in our front, uh, just inside our front door at our front closet, and I was hanging up coats, hanging up coats. And I sensed in my heart that God was saying, I want you to take your family to Africa. I'll never forget it. Random, right? I wasn't doing anything special. I was hanging up coats. And I kind of just left it there. I didn't know what that meant. A couple months later, um, I was contacted by the director of Christian Horizons Global to take our family to Ethiopia. Now, he had been here and spoken several times. We had a partnership with that organization and supported many different initiatives in Ethiopia. They were starting something new, a brand new way of doing ministry, um, these self-help support groups, and they wanted us to come meet people and find out more about this. And as he spoke in kind of that years between we first started the partnership and before we went, he spoke here a few times and he would often joke, I'm going to get your pastor there. And I thought, well, we'll see. I it's just, it was kind of there and I, I wasn't smart enough to put the dots together. But that moment hanging up coats and then two months later when they invited us, I got it. And I heard him. We said yes and we took our whole family and and Jim and Darlene Gibbons came along, and, and it was a wonderful 10 days there uh, experiencing this new ministry, and our kids were, were profoundly impacted, some more than others. 
And I'm just thankful that God works in those deep ways. God speaks to us in many ways, but the primary way is through his written word. Secondary ways through still small voice. Pay attention. Lean in. Lean in to listen to God's voice in the wind. Noticing those things that are going on around you. And in the whispers, these things inside our heart. And by spending time with God, by developing relationship, by leaning in, by drawing close, you'll begin to recognize his voice more and more. As I said, next week we're going to look more at discerning and guidance and how that works between you and God and together as a church family and with other believers. So don't miss that because that really will help this morning. But for this morning, let me just encourage you to lean in. Use God's word primarily. Pay attention the rest of the time. What is he stirring in you? Maybe it's a choice with a job, with a relationship, with anything. He speaks to you. He cares about your life. And he gives you these rhema, these specific personalized words that you may not find a specific story about. A narrative, a verse in the Bible specifically. The principle, yes, but the specifics, no. And he loves you enough to invite you to lean in so he can whisper his love to you and his guidance as a good heavenly father. We're going to head into communion in a moment. And um, if you are at home, I encourage you to, to get some emblems together. It doesn't have to be uh, bread and juice, something representative. But communion is a time for us to remember what Jesus has done for us. It's a time to reflect on where your heart is at with him. It's a time to repent, to confess your sins, to get right with God. It's a time to renew, to ask Jesus to bring you near and to lean in. And it's time to rest in your identity and relationship with him recognizing that what he did on the cross and through his resurrection has made everything possible for you to be with him now and eternity. And if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, now is a wonderful time to admit your sin, to choose to believe, and to come near to him, to, to choose his way. Communion is limited not to members. Church membership is important, but it's to those who are children of the Father, those who've chosen to follow Jesus this morning. And in a moment, I'm going to invite you forward to get the emblems, the bread, and the cup. It's a little packet. The first thing is the bread. The second peel is the cup. In 1 Corinthians 11, we read this. Paul writes this. For I pass unto you what I received from the Lord himself. He's writing a church who is in complete chaos. And he says, this is an important time. Here's how you do it. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourselves before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread and drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. What does that mean to examine? It means look at where your life is at. What does it mean to eat unworthily? It means to treat this as just another thing you do. And who cares? Jesus did this thing 
I'm going to do this thing, and then I'm going to go home. That is to treat this with contempt. This is a moment to remember, a tactile way to draw near to Jesus. And so this morning, I invite you to lean in. As you partake in communion, ask him questions, draw near, listen, and see what he might whisper to you. So after I pray, I invite you to come and get the emblems and go back to your seat. You can partake as you're, as you're ready. Chrissy's going to play instrumentally for a bit, and then she's going to sing. You're, you're welcome to sing along or be quiet. This is your time between you and God. Partake as a, as a household if you want, or if you're sitting with friends, do that as well. This is your time to lean in and listen to the Father. Let's pray.